Let me ask you a question. We've been doing a series on family, talking about how different our families would be or could be if they were fully reoriented around Jesus. So let me ask you a question. And I really want us to kind of ponder this this morning for just a minute. How many decisions does your family make that are based on fear? How much does fear factor into the decisions that you make? Fear of, I don't know, fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of death, fear of losing what you have, or fear of not getting what you want, fear of embarrassment. What sort of decisions do we make when we're afraid? We make decisions to sort of play it safe or hold on to what we have or not take chances or not even give people an opportunity to hurt us. That's what we do, isn't it? When we're afraid that somebody might hurt us physically or emotionally. In fear, we say, I'm not even going to give them the chance. I was thinking about the way I was when I was a teenager and I would go to a church camp or I'd go to a youth rally and there'd be all kinds of cool kids that I could have had friendships with and talked to and get to know, but I had a hard time talking to anybody that I didn't already know. And it wasn't because I didn't like them or I was afraid I wouldn't like them. It was that I was afraid they wouldn't like me. And so I didn't even want to give them the chance to not like me. Uh, then when I was in youth ministry and I, I would work with teenagers and, and one of the games that I would like to play is I would let the teenagers take turns giving compliments to the other members of the youth group. And I'll tell you, that was one of the hardest things that they ever had to do. I could tell them, go pick up trash. I could send them door knocking, advertise for VBS. I could tell them to do all kinds of things. No problem. But give somebody else a compliment? You'd think I was pulling teeth. I mean, it was awful. They didn't want to do it, and I, and I don't think it was because they didn't have something nice to say about that person. I think a lot of times it was because they were afraid that their admiration of that other person wouldn't be reciprocated, and they would put themselves out there and say, hey, I, I think you're a pretty cool guy. I think that you're a wonderful young lady. I am really glad that we're friends, and they're afraid that the other person wouldn't feel the same towards them. As we become adults, that fear doesn't necessarily go away, does it? Even as adults, we struggle with that, don't we? We're afraid someone will hurt us. Maybe it's because we've been hurt in the past. Maybe it's because we're insecure. Whatever it is, I mean, even in this room, even when you go out into the hallway, you're going to pass somebody in the hallway and you're afraid to stick out your hand and say, I'm so-and-so, it's good to meet you. You're afraid, well, maybe they're a visitor and maybe they'll be offended, or maybe they're, they're not a visitor and I'm going to treat them like a visitor. Maybe they've been a member here for 10 years and I don't know them yet. Why are we so afraid? And how many of our decisions as families are based on fear? Maybe fear of that kind of rejection. Maybe fear of actually being harmed or hurt. Maybe even fear of of death. Let me tell you a secret. If the apostles had felt that way, you wouldn't know about Jesus, right? If the apostles had lived their life in fear rather than hope, 
you wouldn't even know about Jesus. Can you imagine if the apostles had said, listen, we need to take the gospel to other people, but we're not going to go anywhere where people might not like us, right? We're not going to go and talk to anybody that might make fun of us or might reject us or might say, we don't want to hear that here. And we're certainly not going to go to anywhere where they might hurt us or kill us. If they had had that sort of attitude, the gospel would have never spread. You wouldn't know about Jesus if they had made decisions out of fear. But instead of making decisions out of fear, they made decisions out of hope. You see, the apostles believed, they really truly believed that they were invincible. They believed that they had a life that could not be taken from them. And you know why they believed that? Because Jesus told them that. Jesus told them that he gave them a life that could not be taken from them. And they believed it. They believed that they were invincible. And they went into the world in hope rather than fear. Now imagine, imagine for just a second what your family might be like if you truly believed that you were invincible. What might your family be like if you were filled with with hope rather than fear. Here's the main thing that I want us to get this morning. If you center your family on Jesus, he can replace your fear with hope. Because where there is life, there is hope. And that's what Jesus has to offer us. That when we recenter our lives and when we recenter our family, no matter what role you play in the family, whether it's as a spouse or as a son or a daughter or a brother or sister, as a parent, whatever your role in the family is, when you help to recenter your family on Jesus, your family is given a life that cannot be taken from them. And there's this hope. We are an invincible family. We have something that cannot be taken from us. And when we are filled with hope, it changes the way that we live our lives. So I'm going to go through and we're going to look at the Gospel of John and talk about why we have this hope. But in the end, I want us to be thinking about how might our families be different if we allow Jesus to drive out the fear and replace it with hope. So one of the the themes in the Gospel of John, you probably know this already, is life. Look at John chapter 1. And verse 4, in the prologue, the very beginning of the book, John begins by telling us about Jesus and says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, I'm afraid that a disservice has been done to a lot of us. That sometimes when we read some of these words in the Bible that are just incredibly simple. I mean, there doesn't, there's no more basic word than life, right? I mean, that's as basic as it gets. But we've sort of spiritualized everything and we've sort of turned this into a religious word. Life isn't a religious word, it's a biological word, right? When John talks about life, he means life the way a doctor means life. Life, you know what life is. Life is the opposite of death right and that's exactly what he means and he says that Jesus coming into the world the one by whom and through whom and for whom the world was created in him was life and the life was the light of men he came into this dark world of death and he offered people life and then look at passage like John 3 15 and 16 a passage you know well 
Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So sometimes Jesus, when he talks about this life, he, he sort of modifies it with this adjective, eternal this eternal life, which means that the life that Jesus give, gives endures beyond death for the age to come. In fact, I like to, when I'm reading through the Bible and I read eternal life, I like to read life for the age to come. But, but we've got to be very careful that we don't read eternal life the way sort of an ancient Egyptian or an ancient Roman or an ancient Greek, these pagan cultures, they believed in this sort of nice afterlife, right? For the people that pleased the gods or did the right things, that this sort of peaceful afterlife, that's not the sort of thing Jesus has in mind at all. In fact, look at John chapter 5 and verse 25. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And, at, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So for Jesus, this life that he gives to his disciples, this life that will endure beyond death is about resurrection power. That you will be those who are his disciples, those who are in a right covenant relationship with God, the righteous, right? That means in a right relationship with God. All of them will be raised to life. That means just like, and we've talked about this so many times, haven't we? Just like Lazarus' tomb was empty, and someday Lazarus would die again, but with the hope, the confident assurance that someday he would come again out of that tomb never to go back into it. Just like Jesus came out of the tomb never to go back in. And Jesus says, this is the sort of eternal life I'm talking about. This is the sort of promise that I'm making. That I will raise you to live forever. That's the promise that Jesus gives to his disciples. That's, that's hope. And when we talk about hope, when we talk about the biblical hope, sometimes we use hope and what we mean is, I don't think that's going to happen, but it'd sure be nice, right? You know, I, I hope I win that contest. I hope this happens. I hope this doesn't happen. And we're talking about wishful thinking. When we talk about hope in Scripture, it's about confident expectation. Jesus says, truly, truly, you can take this to the bank. That because I am the Son of Man, the, the Father... God, the creator, he has bestowed on me that authority and power. I am God in the flesh. And God has, the Father has life in him and he has put life in me and now I give that life to you. How so? That on the day of judgment, I will raise you up and the tombs will be 
empty. This isn't isn't like metaphor or figurative. It's, It's literal. That my tomb will be empty. My family's tomb will be empty. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of Man and Jesus gives life. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We will be raised then because he has given us life now. And that's why we have hope. Because he has given us life now, we know for a fact that he will raise us up then. And and, and we don't have any reason to be afraid of death. Why? Because we are truly alive and have a life that will endure beyond the grave. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. And then verse 58 of John chapter 6. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he explains to us how, sort of how the resurrection is going to work in that the primary difference between your body right now and your body when Jesus returns is that your body will be immortal, imperishable. You will live forever. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? That Jesus, the creator, came into the world and that whoever would come to him and be born again by the water and the spirit, whoever would reorient their life around him, he gives to them a life. Life that can't be taken away from them. Life that in a way makes them invincible. That even though they die, yet shall they live. That they'll be raised with an immortal, imperishable, transformed body that cannot die. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, death is, death is the end, isn't it? Death is final. No, nothing in the world seems as final as death And we all sort of intuitively know that, don't we? That when someone's dead, it's over. That's the end. That's final. There is no more. But Jesus says, everyone who keeps my word, everyone who believes in me and is my disciple and follows me, he will never see death. He will never experience the end, the finality. He will never experience there is no more. Do, do we believe that? Do we believe, do I believe that I will never truly see death? That when I die, that when I get cancer or I die unexpectedly or my heart stops beating, that I will be just as Jesus said about Lazarus, I'll just be asleep. For me, it'll just be temporary. Why? Because Jesus promises that he has already given to me life 
and that I'll be raised. Do, do you believe that? That as a follower of Jesus, you will never see death. It will never be the end. It will never be final. It will never be hopeless. That even when you die, you will live. John chapter 10 that we talked about last week, verses 27 and 28. John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, this this is why the apostles would go to places where people hated them. Not just didn't like them. Not just said mean things about them. Not just hurt their feelings. And I'm not discounting those things. It hurts to have your feelings hurt, doesn't it? We say sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, right. Words hurt a lot, don't they? But the apostles went to places where they hated them. And they said all kinds of horrible things about them. And they spit on them. And they hit them. And they put them in jail. And they stoned them. And they beat them. And they killed them. Why? Because they believed this. That Jesus has given us eternal life. And we will never perish. And no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. They believed that they were invincible. And so they went to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. And you only know about Jesus because they were filled with hope. Because the hope of the resurrection, the confident assurance that we have life that endures beyond death, drove out the fear. (laughs) Do you remember what the apostles were like before the resurrection? They were terrified. They they scattered. They were terrified of ending up in the same situation Jesus was in. But after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, they were so filled with hope, they went to the edge of the earth. They went to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus without fear. And then our story with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. John chapter 11, 24-25. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This isn't about some abstract idea about some event. It's about Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, and you know that he is the resurrection, that as we talked about on Easter Sunday, that that the whole world was in winter, And that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the first little bit of spring. There is the old creation, and then there is the new creation. And Jesus' resurrection is the first bit of new creation bursting forth in the middle of the old. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Your faith needs to be in me because I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And listen to the words that Jesus prayed in John 17. John 17, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may sh- to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is, listen to this phrase, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the message that Jesus has been laying forth all throughout, that John has been helping us to see all throughout this gospel account. 
that to know Jesus is to know God, right? To know Jesus, I think that's the next slide. To know Jesus is to know God. And to know God is to be transformed into his children over whom death has no claim, possessors of eternal life. This is why Jesus could say, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know Jesus is to know God. That when you see Jesus for who he is, then you've seen God. And to see God in all of his glory, to realize who he is, to recenter and reorient your life around him, around Jesus, you're transformed. You're born again. You become a piece of the new creation. You're transformed into sons and daughters of the most high God. You have eternal life, a life that cannot be taken from you. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Do we believe that, in a sense, we are invincible and that no one can snatch us from Jesus' hand? The, the only way to lose the life that Jesus has given us is to fail to live our life for Jesus. The only way to lose the life that we have is to fail to live it for Jesus. Jesus says in John 12 and verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So, I mean, let's think for just a second. As families, what would it look like for a family to be so filled with hope, confident assurance, we cannot die. We have a life. We now have a life. We are so alive in Jesus that even though we die, yet shall we live. Jesus will raise us from the dead. What would it look like for a family to be filled with that kind of hope? What sort of decisions would a family that is so centered on Jesus and so, so confident of this hope and this life what would it look like for them? You, you think maybe it would be families, as an example, going on more mission trips? Maybe families that, that move to a part of the world that some of us might say, that's, that's unsafe. It's not, to say, it's not to say that we do things that are intentionally dangerous, but that we don't let danger stop us from doing what needs to be done. Or what about parents supporting their young people's decision to go and be missionaries and go spread the gospel in parts of the world where it might not be as safe as it is here in Collin County? We live in an incredibly safe part of the world. But there are people all over the world that need to hear about Jesus. Many of you probably know that I've got three sisters. Two of them were missionaries. One was a missionary in France. One was a missionary in South Africa, both for a number of years. And during their time in those countries, they were both attacked. They both uh, suffered things like uh, a break-in. One of them suffered a break-in in their home. Their roommate was robbed. Home invasion. And it would have been really easy for my parents to have two single daughters in other parts of the world that had to come home. 
I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where we realized that there are things more important than safety and security and comfort. What would it look like for your family to be so filled with hope, so so allowing Jesus to drive out the fear that you realized there are things that are so important, people that need to be loved, people that need to be cherished, people that need to hear about Jesus, And if I've got to risk something, if I've got to risk embarrassment, if I've got to risk rejection, even if I have to risk my safety, I'm willing to do it. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what the apostles continued to do as they carried on the legacy and the message of Jesus is they took up their cross and followed him because they were filled with hope. What would that look like in your family? What are we putting on the line? What are we risking? What are we sacrificing? Or are we afraid? Do we make choices saying, I don't want to risk what I have. I want to play it safe. I don't want to give people the opportunity to hurt me or reject me or not like me. Or are we so filled with hope that we say, listen, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to do what needs to be done because I am filled with hope. So here's, here's our moment of truth question. Is Jesus your family's hope? Is Jesus your family's hope? When you turn on the news and you hear things that are scary, locally, regionally, globally, what's your reaction? It's natural to feel afraid. It's not about not feeling afraid. Sometimes we don't have any control over our feelings. It's just a feeling. But what do we do with that feeling? What do we do with our fear? Do we allow our fear to drive us? Do we allow our fear to be the deciding factor? Or do we say, listen, I am a child of God. I know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know God. And to know God is to be transformed into his children, people who are possessors of eternal life. And that's me. I know that just as Jesus' grave was empty, my grave will be empty. That my Lord will raise me from the dead. And so I am unafraid and I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And as parents... As grandparents, as aunts and uncles, are we willing to encourage our young people to do the same? When my, when my boys are 18 or 19 or 20, will I encourage them, go serve Jesus. Open yourself up to people. Do what needs to be done. If God opens doors and calls you to a place that's dangerous, go. And I'll pray for you, and I'll be nervous for you, and I'll be here for you. But there are things in the world, there are duties that we have, there's a calling that we have that's more important than comfort or safety or security. Are we a people, individually, as families, as a collective body of Jesus here, are we a people that are filled with hope and that allow Jesus to push out the fear? And I can't end without saying that you can't love people when you're afraid of them. You cannot love people when you're afraid of them. Whether it's a fear of being rejected or fear of not being liked or a fear of being insulted or a fear of being embarrassed 
or even a fear of being hurt, the more afraid you are of someone, the less likely you are to love them. And if scripture tells us one thing over and over and over and over again, it's do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. Jesus loves you. He's with you. And he's given you a life. And you cannot be snatched from his hand. The only way to lose what he's given you is to fail to put it on the line for him. That's the commitment that we're making when we're baptized, isn't it? We're saying, I'm dead to me. I'm dead to me. And I want to be raised up a, a piece of the new creation to live a life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But sometimes we need to be reminded of the commitment that we've made. And sometimes we need somebody to remind us, don't be afraid. Let the hope drive out the fear. And so maybe you need to be baptized into Jesus and begin that walk with him or just come home or maybe you just need prayers because this is a scary world and there are all kinds of things in our families, in our towns, in our communities, in our country, in our world that we're afraid of. And we need to pray for each other, pray with each other when we're afraid that we might be bold and courageous. And if we can pray with you or help you in any way, now's a great opportunity. Come forward as we stand and sing.